elder, to the elect lady, and to her children, whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly when that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now, verse 5, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we have worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever, verse 9, transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house or greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. John here, as he writes this epistle, simply calls himself the elder, the bishop, the old guy. And I think it's important to realize that you know, a lot of times through this age comes that wisdom, but they knew him as the elder. They knew him as the bishop. And so he calls himself the elder. He announces who he is first, and then he says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also those who have known the truth. So it's interesting that he says, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm writing to you, the elect lady, and to her children, whom I love. But not only do I love, but also all those who have known the truth love. So the question is, is John writing to a specific woman and her children, or is this a term used for the church and those who are in the church? I kind of myself think that if I was going to give a, a, you know, my interpretation of this, I would say to Calvary Chapel, Milwaukee, and to the saints who are there. Now, you could go to just simply an elect lady and her children, but understand when he goes on to say, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Now, all those who have known the truth, do they know a specific lady? And that's where more and more you're kind of thinking it's probably it's a, a reference to the church. There's a passage that you should be aware of. I'm going to simply read it to you, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27 where it talks about the church being personified as a woman, basically the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Then he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be made holy and without blemish. Do you understand the personification of as a church, as a female, the bride of Christ? And so I would lean towards it is a reference to the church. Now, you can say it's a specific woman, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. There are some scholars who say, well, it was a specific woman, and the reason that he would write 
just and simply say not to so-and-so and name her was because of the persecution of the church. And because of that, he didn't want to name her because of, you know, naming her outright, there would be a persecution to come to her. Now, that sounds nice. It sounds good. But however, if you look at all of John's epistle, when you look at 3 John, he says, he opens it up, the elder to the beloved Gaius. Now, all of a sudden, he uses a name. Why would you use a name if, if you know, you're looking for this area of persecution? So because of that, I'm looking at the elect lady as a symbolism for the church. And so as we look to this as that symbolism of the church, keep in mind that the you can hold to a different view. But then in verse 13, he says, the children of your elect sister greet you, amen. So in other words, the other churches greet you. It makes a lot more sense that he's writing to the church as a whole. Some believe it's an introductory letter to his um, to the epistle of 1 John. And so he writes to the church as a whole in 2 John, and then he writes to a very specific few there in 3 John. So depending on how you look at it, it doesn't change the rest of the epistle. So I'm going to just throw that out to you. You can agree which way you want, but it's not going to change anything that follows. If it goes to a specific woman, the things that follow still are true. If it goes to the church as a whole, the things that follow are true. So regardless of how you hold the first part, I think it's important for you to recognize that it doesn't change the rest. So we see in verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Now, it's interesting that John uses this term truth. And in this epistle, he uses it five times. It's interesting that this term truth is a term that actually is a, a negative. For those of you that... Um, understand the Greek, there's a, a negative particle in this word. And so it would be like saying, you know how you have the word happy, and then you have that negative particle un, unhappy? It means what? You're, it's the opposite of happy. You're not happy. Well, in this, there's that negative particle, which is a, and then the, the term lethia means to hide. And so if it's a athea or a lethea, then it means to not hide. So when it looks to the truth, it's, it means that it's not hidden. It means that it's not ignorant. It means that you're not unaware. And, and so um, I, I think it's so important to recognize that this term comes and where for the most part when things are hidden, when things are ignorant, when, when, you, when you are unaware. And here he says you're not that. So the truth is what? The truth is something that's not hidden. The truth is something that's in the light. The truth is something that's open. And I love the heart because he says, whom I love in this openness in what is actually known as truth. But not only I love you in this truth, but also all those who have known the truth. Those who walk in a way that's not hidden, they too. Because, verse 2, of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. It's unique that John's use of the word truth is, for the most part, a powerful teaching of where John says, everything that I'm wanting you to know is in the light, in the light, in the light, nothing's in the darkness. John uses this term five times. Now, uniquely in his epistle of, of 1 John, he uses it nine times, and in 3 John, he uses it six times. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, he uses it 25 times. Now, in case you're thinking, well, why are you saying, you know, here it's five and there it's nine and there it's six, and in the Gospel it's 25 times. Matthew's Gospel uses the term truth once. Only once. Luke uses it three times. Mark uses it three times. That's crazy. You got seven total. On all the Gospels, and here, just, just John again and again and again is trying to let us understand the truth. Now, it's important what John is going to be teaching us about the truth is, is two things. One, in verses 4 through 6, he wants us to know the truth and to do the truth. But as long as knowing the truth, there's another truth that he wants you to be aware of. And in verses 7 through 11, he says, I want you to be aware of heresy, that which is not true. So keep in mind that in the first, like verses 4 through 6, he's talking about knowing the truth. But then in verses 7 through 11, he's saying, but you also got to know heresy. Now, what is heresy? Heresy is just something that's not the truth. It's something that's different from the truth. It's something that tries to hide the truth, deny the truth. And so this is what John is doing. In verses 4 through 6, he's talking about the commandments, doing the commandments, knowing the commandments. But then also, in verses 7 through 11, he talks about what? Not just the commandments, but the counterfeits. You've got to understand what is the counterfeit, what other people are trying to tell you that is not a commandment, that is not true. And so it's a beautiful thing that John does because in the first two verses, he says, to the elect lady and the children whom I love in truth. In other words, something that's not hidden, something that is biblical. And not only I, but also those who have known the truth. So when you know the truth, you can love in the truth. There's this illumination that comes with it. Verse 2, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. There's a truth that abides. There's a truth as we're abiding in Christ. This truth is going to be a part of us. And so he says in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus, the Son of the Father. And then he says this, in truth and love. Amazing is he uses this term over and over. Now, a lot of Paul's epistles, when, when he writes, are simply grace and peace, grace and peace. But it's unique that John writes grace, mercy, and peace. Not, not just grace and peace, where you, you have this grace, which is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is, is not getting what you do deserve, and then the peace is what? <laughs> well, it's, it's the rest that we have because we don't get what we deserve, and we're getting what we don't deserve. And so he uses these terms, grace, mercy, and peace, and he doesn't say that it would be yours. He says, will be with you. These three things will be with you. Why? Well, because you're in truth. Because you're in that word of God. You're in his commandments. And so we begin to see here, he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. In truth and in love. So this grace, mercy, and peace are going to be with you in truth. It's also going to be with you in love. And so understand that he adds to this greeting in a very powerful way. That when you have the grace, when you have the mercy, when you have the peace, it's not going to be something that's false. It's something that's tangible, something that's weighty, something that you can anchor into. It's not something that is going to be light and fluffy or vanity that you can say, oh, I want to hold on to this truth, but then it's not really something that anchors you in. Now, there's a lot of people that speak truths, but what do they do? Well, it's not a truth that anchors. It may sound good for a moment, but it doesn't what? It isn't an eternal truth. It doesn't draw you closer to God. And what he wants is this. He wants you anchored, something that is truly in the light, something that is truly 
weighted down with the word of Christ, and then he says, and in love. And, and I love the heart of John because he truly is this apostle of love. He used to be the one. Hey, let's call down fire on these towns. No, that's not John anymore. It's just love. And so we see here, he says, I, this grace, mercy, and peace is going to be with you because of love. Because God is this God of love and God is going to shower that love upon you. And now we begin to see this area of knowing the truth, doing the truth, this area of actually the commandments. Beginning in verse 4, we're going to see one thing. You need to walk in truth. And then as we look at verse 5 and 6, it's going to be, but you also have to walk in love. There is a walking in truth. As you have this walking in truth, keep in mind he makes this statement in verse 4. He declares this, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. So he talks about here that I have, you know, found some of your children. Whether he's talking about the children of a specific woman or he's talking about some of those in the church. I would lean to some of those in the church. He says, we rejoice that we, I have found some of the children walking in truth as we receive the commandment from the Father. Why would he say that? Well, tune in to 3 John and then you'll understand. There are some who don't. And we're going to see here in just a little bit, verse 7 is going to say, many deceivers have gone out in the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. So some are walking in the truth. Some that were part of the church are no longer part of the church, and they're now in the world, and they're proclaiming a different gospel. But he's rejoicing greatly, and I love the, the, the point that John is, is stating. It's not just, hey, I'm happy. It's like, oh, I am so excited that some are getting it. And, and I think it's interesting that aren't we sometimes disappointed when we don't get everything? And, and I think it's nice that, hey, if you're growing, if you're going in the right direction, you should be excited. And if you're along with other people that are going in the right direction, you should be excited because I'll tell you what, the world wants to tear us down. The, the enemy wants to deceive us. And if we're, we're solid going in the right direction, I love what John says, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive the commandment from the Father. I think it's important as we look to this, I want to read to you just one portion of 3 John for just a moment. I, I want to read verse... Verses 9 and 10. He said, I wrote to the church. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean I, I wrote to the elect lady? Or did I write another letter to the church? We said, I wrote to the church. But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, Pratting against us with malicious words and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So we begin to see that there's a man who truly is not walking, and this is where John says, some of your children, some do, some don't. But what I love is that those who do, as we received this commandment from the Father, they're walking in the truth. One of the things that I think is important to note that they're walking in the truth, not they have walked in a truth, but they're walking. Do you realize that it's a continuation? See, some people think, well, I did one thing, so now I'm done. That's not how it works with Christianity. Yes, you were saved by grace, but you were what? You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. I love what Paul says as far as really that, that whole understanding of walking in the truth, continuing to walk in the truth. He makes this declaration in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to read verses 6 through 8. Just in, in reading the, the, the address, you guys already have an idea now. Because 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6, says, For I'm already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me also, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, says, I finished my race. Oh, I finished well. And I think it's important as we do this that he says, you know, you are walking in the truth. Not you have walked, but you continue to walk in this truth. And I think it's important where that's why he's rejoicing greatly because you're continuing to be in that direction. When you stop walking in that direction, what happens? Well, we grieve. When, when your children are walking, you're excited, you're going, doing well, you're in that right direction, but when they stop, you're a little bit nervous. They start going the wrong direction. You're a little bit nervous. You begin to get on your knees a little bit more. You pray a little bit harder. But here he's rejoicing because they continue to walk in the truth. There's this continuation of that obedience as we receive the commandment from the Father. Now, he says in verse 5, you're walking in this truth, and he doesn't say at the end of verse 4, commandments plural. He uses a commandment singular. And so in verse 5, he says, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. It's important, we've talked about this before, when we were looking at 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. And let me just read to you that passage. It says, Brother, and I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning. That old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. So there was a commandment that God had given, and that was a commandment that was old. It was a commandment that was from the very beginning. I want to read to you a portion of Leviticus chapter 19. I want to read verses 17 and 18, but it says this, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. An old commandment, and we understand what? Well, the commandments are based on two things. The entirety of it, love God, love people. As we see here, he's making this statement in verse 5 of Second John. He says, I'm pleading with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment. This isn't a new commandment. It's an old commandment. The, the commandment to go and to love your neighbor was there from the beginning. But it's interesting that Jesus takes this old commandment and he makes it into a new commandment. How do you make the commandment to love into a new commandment? Well, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus makes this declaration. A new commandment I give to you. A new one? Wait, is it 10 enough? <laughs> Let, let's figure out this. And I thought you said it all boiled down to love God and, and love people. He says a new commandment. He says this that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Do you understand? It's a new commandment. He doesn't say just figure this out on your own and love. Now keep in mind as God calls us to love, and this is such a, an incredible thing. He calls us to love. He calls us to walk in love. And then all of God's other commandments and his statutes and his precepts Precepts are showing us how to practically walk out love. How to practically love God. How to practically love people. And so if you're looking for definitions, then do that. But Jesus says, listen, well, I could give you those commandments. I could give you the precepts. But you already have that. So I'm going to give you something different. Imitate me. Walk the way I've walked. 
And I think it's so important that if you're wondering, well, how do we love and do this? Then, then, then look to the life of Jesus Christ. And so I love what he's doing here where he makes a statement. Verse 5, I'm pleading with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you. I'm not writing a new commandment. It's an old commandment that we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, he says. I love the heart. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Let me read it to you. It's just so beautiful. And I'm going to read verse 19 as well. But he says, we love him because he first loved us. As someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. It's so important that we see here that here's this commandment. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. I'm not writing a new commandment. It's an old commandment that was already always there in Leviticus 19. And this is a commandment that we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And if you don't love your brother whom you see, you can't say, I'm loving God whom I don't see. And it's so important to say, well, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, he says, you're a liar. You can't have this infusion of the love of God, and it, and, and it has to trickle out to loving people. Not necessarily loving their sin, but loving people. And so we see here this beautiful thing that, that John begins to teach us, and so at the end of verse 5, when, after he says, I plead with you, it's not a new commandment, but love one another. Now verse 6, he says, this is love. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. And now he does what? Now he puts it in plural. Not just one, a new commandment, which is to love, but he says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is why I'm saying the other commandments show us how to carry out the great commandment of loving God. It shows us how to carry out the great commandment of loving people. If you're curious to how to do it, then you look to what? This perfect, holy, just law of God and you realize as the Spirit is leading you to walk in this way, you can look to the Word and say, yes, this is of God. If the Spirit is leading you in a direction and you see it not in the Word, then it's, it's suspect which Spirit it is that's teaching you, what Spirit it is that's guiding you, and you're supposed to be testing the spirits. And so we see here, and I love the heart of it, because initially he says it's a commandment, period, the one to love. But now in verse 6, he says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Plural, all these other commandments are showing us how to walk out this commandment of love. But then he says this, this is the commandment. Do you understand he's going from singular to plural to singular? One, he says, if you want definitions, if you want to know what this love looks like, look to the rest of God's word. It doesn't change because God is love. He's revealing himself as that God. And part of that love is what? Grace. Part of that love is mercy. Part of that love is peace. Part of that love is truth. And so we begin to look here at, at what God is teaching us. He says, so this is love that we walk according to what he's declared love was through the other commandments. And then this is the commandment. All these boils down to one thing. Love. Love God. Love people. It's going to show you different ways in doing it, the different colors of love, if you will, the different aspects of love. If you say, well, I'm doing this, is it love? Well, then look in the scripture. Is that part of the law, part of the commandments? Then yes, it's love. But I'm doing this. Is it part of the love, part of the statutes, part of the precepts? If it's not, then, then be, be, take a second, look at it. It has to be sub suspect. And so he says this, this is the commandment. 
that you have heard from the beginning. In other words, back to what we looked at there in Leviticus 19, verse 18, that you should walk in it. That you should walk in love. In 1 John chapter 5, the first two verses, we looked at this a few weeks ago. But it says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ of born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. I love what John does. He talks about really, if you say you love, then you what? Know the commandments, do the commandments. But all these commandments are to do what? It's to have the motivation of love. So you can't separate the two. Now, there's a lot of people who just do the commandments, but the love is not a motivation. It's self-righteousness is a motivation. Be careful. Because what happens is this. If you just simply say, I love and I love and I love, but you're not doing, the love doesn't come and, and look like any of his commandments, doesn't look like any of his statutes, doesn't look like any of his precepts, then you have to question, am I really loving? Because the two are hand in hand. They're not separate at all. They're, they're completely tied in. And so you need to love. How does it look? It looks like his, his commandments and his statutes and his precepts. Then how are they done? Oh, in love. It's in love. And that love is going to look like what? Grace, mercy, and peace, and truth. Those four things. And so you, you have grace upon things where you, you give people what they don't deserve. You give mercy. You don't give them what they should deserve. You give them peace. You walk in a way that brings kindness, fellowship, edification, but then the truth is what? Well, I'm not going to be an heir. I'm not going to agree to say that sin can be winked at. I'm not going to agree to say that sin can be overlooked. It has to be what? Confessed and repented. And it has to be walking back to the direction of God. It doesn't mean that we have to obtain to all these things, but we have to walk in that direction. And our motivation of walking in that direction is what? Love. And I think it's so important that this truth and love are, are so intertwined. You need to love. How does it look? The commandments. How do, what, how do we walk the commandments? In love is the motivation that comes through that. Wanting to see God glorified. Wanting to see people edified. And then he brings in this next area where he says, okay, you know these commandments, walk the commandment, the commandment of love, the other one's defining it, but also now keep in mind that there are commandments, but they're also counterfeits. You need to know the truth, but you also have to understand and know heresy as well. He now jumps to the other end of the spectrum and he says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. We understand that there are deceivers, those who are hiding those who are anti-truth. Now remember, we already talked about truth being what? Not concealing. They try to cover up truth. They try to change the truth. They try to bring in this area of, of ignorance to the truth and so that people can be trapped into it, that they're unaware, where John says, I want you to be in the light, in the light, in the light. He says many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Remember when we started the epistle of 1 John? We didn't get any further than the first two verses. And in the first two verses of 1 John chapter 1, that which was in that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He said he was from the beginning. He didn't start at the beginning. He was from the beginning. When the beginning came, he was already there. 
And he says, and I want you to understand that we heard him. We've seen him with our eyes. We've looked upon him. Our hands have handled him. This eternal God was in the flesh. And we saw him in the flesh. We handled him in the flesh. He was that eternal word of life. And then he says this in verse 2. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. He said that life was an eternal life. It was always existing. And as he was always existing, we see here, he says, I declare to you that eternal life. This which was from the beginning, that person of Jesus Christ who's always, always been God. He's been eternal. He wasn't created. He was an eternal life. But that what? Verse 2, that life was manifested. And this is that area of doctrine that the Gnostics were trying to say, listen, if you really want to have a greater knowledge, you have to understand that we have a greater knowledge that John isn't declaring. And it's this, that Jesus himself actually didn't come in the flesh. Jesus himself was the spirit. It was the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of Christ came upon this flesh at the baptism and it left before the crucifixion. And so that which was before the baptism, that was after, it was just flesh. It meant nothing. <laughs> Jesus was connected the whole time. There on the cross, Jesus said this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he understood what was happening here. And so understand that what the deceivers are trying to say, that, that he didn't come in the flesh. Why? Because the spirit is who we really are. The spirit is what really counts before God. The flesh means nothing. And so you can give yourself over carnally in the flesh, and it's okay because the flesh means nothing. But then when you give yourself over to the spiritual area, that's the only thing that God sees. God only sees the spirit. He doesn't see the flesh. and That's not what the word of God teaches. The word of God teaches what? When you're abiding in the spirit, your flesh does what? Your flesh follows the abiding of the spirit. Because if you do walk in darkness, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. Then you're not of God. And so he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. I want to share with you a passage from 1 John chapter 2. It opens up this. I'm simply going to be reading just a couple of verses. I'm going to be reading verses 18 and 19 and verse 22. But in 1 John 2, verse 18 and 19, little children is the last hour. As you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Verse 22, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, that he was eternal God and that he was manifest in the flesh. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And then in 1 John chapter 4, the first two verses, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. So when you recognize, John is saying, listen, the ones who are saying that Jesus Christ does not, they didn't confess that Jesus came into flesh, they are deceivers, they are liars, they are antichrist. And so he says, I want you to understand the doctrine of the false teachers, that they limit 
the deity of Jesus Christ as only being the Son of God, not the eternal God. And they, they limit him by saying that he is a spirit and never really became fully in the flesh. No, Jesus Christ was 100% God and he was 100% man. And while he was 100% man, he was 100% God. Get that straight. If you, if you lessen that in any way, then that's false doctrine. And I think it's important to realize that that is a deceiver, that is an antichrist, that is false doctrine, that is heresy. And then he says this, verse 8, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we might receive the full reward. Be careful that you're not walking with God and then all of a sudden you begin to deny who he is. Your life begins to change. You no longer begin to love. When you do those things, when you're no longer abiding, all of a sudden it doesn't mean that you're not saved, but it should get you to be a little bit nervous to say, if I'm not walking these things, do I really have a guarantee because the guarantee that I'm in, in walking what? The guarantee comes to the, the, the point where my spirit is just so assured is what? When I'm walking. When I'm not walking, that's when the enemy says, what's going on here? Are you sure? And I have to say, well, I don't really know right now because I'm not walking. See, the assurance comes what? When we're in the light. The insurance comes when? When we're abiding in Christ. When you're not abiding in Christ, what happens is the assurance is not assurance. It becomes a hope. It becomes, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this is, so if you want assurance, abide in Christ and walk. That's all he's saying. So when you're doing this, he says, look to yourselves, verse 8, that you do not lose those things that you worked for. When you stop abiding, that assurance is going to be lessened. But he says, but do this, that we may receive a full reward. And I think that's what it is. You want to receive the full reward? Remember what we read there in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Do you understand? I've done what I was supposed to do. I continued in what I was supposed to do. I abided in Christ. And I walked his word. And so this is the heart. He says, you want to receive the full reward, everything that God has. And now in verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. And now he talks about this term abide. As he uses this term abide, it's a beautiful term because he's trying to bring out an understanding as far as, listen, you need to continue in Christ. Why does he use that term abide? Remember what John said in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Jesus himself speaking these words, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In other words, if you're not abiding in the vine, not bearing fruit, he takes you away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide, verse 4, in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. You understand it's this continuation of growth. It's this area of sanctification. He says, without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You're saying, God, I want to bear fruit for your kingdom. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you the direction. I'm going to teach you to love. You can do these things. 
So understand that what John is trying to teach in this second epistle here in verse 9, if you transgress and do not abide, you don't have that assurance. He's not of God. Now he who abides, and this is continue, in the doctrine of God has both the Father and the Son. Now, what does this mean? Do, am I saying that if you make one mistake, that you're not of God? No, we're all going to make mistakes. So what does it mean to make a mistake and abide in Christ? It means that when that happens, you confess, you repent, you turn, and you walk towards God. But you, when, you're, when you're not abiding, you do the sin and you continue to have a practiced lifestyle of that sin without repenting, without confessing, and without turning back to God. When you live a lifestyle in that way, you're not abiding in the doctrine of Christ. You're, you're, you're not there, but you're now abiding in the world and in sin. Now you do what? You don't have that assurance. You don't have God. John says. Now in verse 10, he makes a unique point and he says this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, in other words, if they come to you and they do not bring the doctrine of Jesus is the eternal God, Jesus was 100% man, and while he was 100% man, he was 100% God. If he doesn't bring that doctrine, he says this, do not receive him into your house or greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. It's interesting how he says, don't receive him. If you receive him, you, he says, you're simply sharing in his evil deeds. What does it mean? Well, put it this way. If you know that there is a false teacher... And other people in the church knows that there's a false teacher. And you say, I want you to come into my house so that I can feed you and clothe you and take care of you. Then what the people around you are saying is that you're supporting them and you're supporting that doctrine. And so it's important to say that you can't in any way be seen to support that kind of doctrine or that kind of movement that is against Christ. And so he makes this statement, if anyone comes to you does not have this doctrine, or they come to you with heresy, do not receive him into your house or greet him. It's a beautiful word. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 16, verse 17. He says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Don't be a part of them. Don't have it be seen that you're in any way in league with them, that you're in any way agreeing with them. When it comes to the false teachers, they have to be put away as an anathema. In other words, like a right hand that offends, cut it off, get rid of it. And I think it's important to note here, he says in verse 11, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. If you, that term greet doesn't just say, if you say, oh, hi, how you doing? That, that's not what it's saying. The term greet in the Greek, actually has a connotation or can also have a connotation of if you give him aid, if you bring him into your house, if you feed him, if you spend time with him, that other people could say, why does he have your support? So, and that's what that term greeting means. Don't give him any aid. And so keep in mind that what happens is that we are defined by what we do, but we're also defined by what we reject. And there has to be a certain teaching that we simply have to reject. If people come in with that teaching, we have to reject them. And they have to be removed from the sheep to protect the sheep. 
And so it's, it's a beautiful thing where he says you have to become aware of heresy and you have to completely reject heresy to the point that it can't even be seen that you're giving aid to those who are part of the heresy. You have to reject them. And now in verse 12, he says, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face that our joy may be full. He says, I could really go on. And you're like, Lowell, that's you. <laughs> you can always go on. You could really go on. And, and what he says, but I'm going to stop now. I'm going to stop in this letter because I've told you the two basic things. One, know the truth and no heresy. Walk the truth and, and avoid any appearance of walking or aiding in heresy. He says, so I've, I've just given you those two basics. Walk in one direction, avoid the other direction. And then he says, although I could have many other things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I'm hoping to come and talk to you face to face. Because I am going to enjoy the fellowship. Remember what he said back in verse 4, I greatly rejoiced that I have found some of your children walking in truth. I want to walk in that truth with them. I want to walk in love with them. I want to walk in encouragement with them. And he says, so I want to be face to face that our joy may be full. Then he says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. And I do believe that it's, it's the other churches greet this church. And, and so the, the beautiful term that he says, oh, I love this because the children of your elect sister greet you. So as he comes in, he says, basically, it's either another lady and more kids. And he says, this family greets that family or this church and those who are of the church greet the church that he's writing to and those who are of that church. And so it's a beautiful thing that he's saying, listen, you have to understand that no matter what church you go to, you should be family. You should be family. Unless it's heretical, you should be family. And it's important to say, greet them, welcome them, love them, and, and, and minister to them with what? With grace, mercy, peace, truth, and love. Let that be our hearts. Father, we are so grateful for this word, so grateful for your heart. You are so, so good. We do ask, Lord, that as we have studied this truth, John again reminds us that there is a direction to walk, but there is a direction to avoid. And walk, no matter what the cost, in the direction to love. And avoid, no matter what the cost, the direction of heresy. Thank you for the simplicity of this word. Thank you for the clarity that we want in our own lives. Thank you, Lord, that even though John would say you need to not have fellowship, it's don't have fellowship with darkness. Don't in any way seem to support the darkness and the heresy. And that's just love. It's just love. I love you enough to say that I can't be a part of what it is that you're doing. And so teach us these things, Lord. Teach us what it is to walk in truth, to walk in love. And teach us truly how to avoid those heresies. Not even, not even to welcome them, not even to greet them, not to have anything to do with them. And so, Lord, it's, it's safe to close the doors on Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. It, it's safe. Unless you called us into that ministry, Lord, it's just safe. And so teach us, grow us, mature us in the truth, in love. We ask us in Jesus' name, amen. Okay there, saints.